Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got a playoff team to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 383. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so that he can break down the Eagles' win over the Washington football team, a win that helped propel this team into postseason play after a couple of other games swung in the Eagles' favor, but... What stood out to us on the film from this win? And what can we expect from Saturday night's matchup against the Dallas Cowboys? Greg and I have got you covered right at the top of the show with Chalk Talk. But before we get there, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, that's where you go and leave it. And I always appreciate everybody that leaves us your support over on that channel. It's the best way to help propel this show up the rankings, especially, look, this team is uh, going into the play- playoffs, into the postseason. We'd love some of that playoff juice from everybody out there that listens to the show. Thanks so much to everyone that has left us your support over on our Apple Podcast page. Also, be sure to check out some more of our football analysis content that has gone up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com lately. You can go check out uh, the All-22 Review. That's where I do a video breakdown of all these plays that that Greg and I are getting ready to break down. And then also, make sure you go check out my post-snap read. That's an article that I do after each and every game where I break down one facet uh, of this matchup. So make sure you go check both of those out over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Also, the Journey of the Draft podcast. I know we're getting closer and closer to the offseason, the regular season, almost through. That means you got to get start getting ready uh, for the Senior Bowl and for the Combine, all those top prospects. Now is the time. Make sure you go listen to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, breaking down the top names each and every week. Head on over to the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. That said, uh, let's get the show rolling. Excited to get another episode of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast rolling with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Please be joined here by NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell for some more Chalk Talk. Greg, uh, welcome back to the show. We've got Week 18 for the first time ever. Uh, you have to be excited to be on Week 18 Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for the first time in history. Well, I'm excited to be with you. I don't know how excited I am about the fact that there's 18 regular season games. <laughs> right. But, uh, uh, no, it's... it's uh, and of course, you and I both knew when the Eagles were two and five that they'd be in the playoffs. We knew that, so you know this. Is of just- course, well, and, and that's why I wanted to ask you off the top before we got into the Week 17 game against Washington. Uh, Greg, obviously, the team earning a, a playoff berth uh, this week, obviously with their win, but a couple other games breaking their way as well, including the Sunday night win by the Green Bay Packers over the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, I mean, just overall thoughts on this team—a a complete turnaround and we've talked about the philosophical changes on both sides of the football and how this team has evolved but uh for a team that starts two and five to turn around and, and make it into the playoffs I, I think it speaks to this team's heart and to their resiliency and and i think it also speaks to the coaching staff Look, no they, start, yeah. they started out playing a certain way and you and i can only speculate as to why they started out playing that way they clearly started out as we know with Nick Sirianni and the offensive staff asking Jalen Hurts to throw the ball an awful lot. And obviously the results were not what they were hoping. I'm sure not what Jalen Hurts was hoping. And then they made it an in-season adjustment. Um, and as I said, we don't know why they started out the way they did. Um, 
We can speculate, as I said, but the in-season adjustment allowed them offensively in particular to really play to the strengths of Jalen Hurts and to the strengths of the offense. And one could easily make the argument right now, and I'm certainly going to make it, that from a run uh, blocking standpoint, even though they didn't have their best game of the year this past week, but overall from a run blocking standpoint, you could say this is the best offensive line in the NFL. Well, and that's why I'm glad that you alluded to this Week 17 game because, uh, look, they went up against a good front, and we've talked we talked about that last week, that when you look at Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, uh, that defensive line can give opponents fits, and they do give the Eagles' offensive line issues in this game. Jonathan Allen uh, was in the backfield a whole lot, and you look at Tim Settle and Ioannidis and Payne, all those guys uh, were able to make plays at the line of scrimmage. The Eagles' offense, they, they could not get things going on the ground at the clip that we have expected over the last couple of months, but I think it's really important to notice that, hey, this is a team the last couple of weeks where they've had to kind of get away from that formula. They're not just rushing for 200 and saying, okay, we're just going to run all over you. We're going to mash you, and that's how we're going to play. Uh, they've had to find ways to claw and scratch and come away with a W. It hasn't always looked pretty, but I think that that's a mark uh, of a team that is looking to try and make some noise in the playoffs. Is you, have, you have to find other ways to be able to win football games. Well, you know, I think what this offense has settled into is clearly there's an identity. As you said, look, this past week and and somewhat the week before, not as much. They certainly did not dominate in the run game the way they did for, what, seven or eight straight weeks. I think it was yeah. seven weeks, right, where they yeah. rushed for 175 or more yards. Um, but they're still obviously a running team. But the word I would use with their offense is efficiency. Uh and I think that that's what they've been. They, they don't really, with, with few exceptions, they don't really turn the ball over. Uh, and I think that that's a really critical part, that they don't turn the ball over. They don't ask Jalen Hurts to drop back, you know, 35, 40 times a game. Has he, and I'm sure there's been maybe one game in there, I just can't remember off the top of my head as we're just discussing it now, has he had more than 30 or 35 pass attempts in any game going back seven, eight games. I'm pulling up the, uh, his game log now, uh, bear with me, all of our listeners as I'm doing this. Okay. So, uh, the most in terms of just pure attempts, he had 31 attempts in that loss to the giants when he got injured, uh, up at MetLife stadium. And that was the highest since that loss against the Raiders, uh, back in, uh, so, so he's not had 30 or more attempts in any game. Other than that Giants game. And that and that was a loss. Yep. Right. So, the, I mean, their offense has been efficient. And look, you and I watch the tape. So all we do is we speak to the tape. And, you know, I think that when you watch Jalen Hurts play, the fact that there are times you and I know that he doesn't see things exactly the way it should be seen. There are times he's a beat late with some throws here and there. But I think two elements of his game compensate for those two things, his second reaction ability, which is high level, and he does not turn the ball over. And that is such a critical thing because that allows the offense to be efficient because it's one thing to say, hey, we're going to punt the ball. okay?" and we'll get into the defense as well. That's they played so much better uh, in addition to the offense. But it's allowed the offense to be efficient because they do not turn the ball over. They do not give opposing offenses a short field. So while Hertz might miss one once in a while, uh, and and there are some quarterbacks in the league who are good players who always miss one once in a while. That's nature of the position. It's hard. Um, 
he, he can always make plays with his legs, as we saw, for instance, on a 22-yard run this week on third and eight. Uh, other examples where he hit Ward, where he hit Goddard this week. But the examples are numerous. And so when you combine that with the, the fact that he doesn't turn it over, you have an offense that is essentially extremely efficient. Maybe they don't hit big chunk plays in the pass game on a regular basis, and every offense would like more of those, Fran. And I'm sure Nick Sirianni and, and staff would. But I'll tell you what, when you don't turn the ball over, that you really give yourself a good chance to win games. Well, and that's the thing too, Greg, is that like when you see the way that they've been running the football over the last couple of months, we're kind of looking at this big picture, not just from week 17 against Washington, but when you look at the way that they're able to run the football, the reason why that can be so good for a quarterback like Jalen outside of the the impact he has in the run game, obviously, is – you are essentially saying, okay, well, if you're going to drop back, we'll say the average has been 25 to 27 times or 24 right. to 26 times, whatever it is, you're going to drop back 24 to 26 times. We're going to factor in, okay, a couple scrambles that knocks you down to 22, 24. And if you throw in a couple screens and some RPOs, all right, now you're getting down to uh, into the teens, right? The high teens. And then you say, okay, well, how many of these plays do we need you to drop back and read it out and make a big time throw uh, within the progression of an offense uh, of the, of the pass construct. Right. And now you're saying, okay, if we're not going to ask you to do that all that often, we can put those plays in and you're, we'll ask you to make them at times, but we don't, we're not forcing you to do it time and time and time and time and time again, where you're going to get more failures than not, because you're still a young inexperienced quarterback. And now what we've seen over these last few weeks is those incremental improvements. You go back, obviously the Denver game stands out. That was an outstanding performance on the road against the Broncos. Right. But uh, over the last few weeks, We've seen individual plays, individual throws. We're like, all right, like, yeah, that, that's what you want it to look like. This past week against Washington, uh, a couple of throws that he made with defenders bearing down on him, you know, staring down the gun barrel and pulling the trigger on a, on a receiver on a crossing route or on a deeper intermediate route, right? You, you, you like to see those kinds of flashes of his ability to work through the pocket, but you're not asking him to say, okay, he needs to do it. 22 times a game or else we're not going to win. Right. And I feel right. like that's the beauty of the way that they're playing offense right now. And, and you make a great point because you can control the situations in which you ask him to do that. And, and that's critical for a young quarterback. Yep. Uh, the term I always use is you can define the reads and the throws for yep. him be, because the situation is such that maybe it's first and 10, maybe it's second and four. You know, look, in every game, are there third and longs? Yes, of course there are. And that's where his legs come into play, too. So, you know, that's the other factor. So they're really able to kind of massage this. And and the question everyone will ask, including you and I, we've discussed this, is when you get into the playoffs and there are those third and longs and defenses are better and they're more aware of his running ability because they, you know, they really work that week to study. Not that other teams don't, but it's the playoffs now. So the magnitude becomes greater. Um, So that's what we're waiting to see. But for right now, this is an offense that's extremely efficient, playing to its strengths and allowing Jalen Hurts to be very efficient. Just overall uh, thoughts on his performance just in this game against Washington. I thought it was one of his better games uh, this year. So did I. I thought he made some really good throws within structure with precise ball placement. He continued to make critical second reaction plays, both throwing and running. He was very good on third down. Um, So I actually thought this was one of his better games without question. You know, and again, it's it's he I I forget what his total numbers were. Maybe something like 17 for 26. Does that sound right? It does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 17 for 20. So. So again, yeah, he had a few scrambles, but they're. 
he didn't have to drop back more than 30 times. And by the way, in a game that was close. So this is the way the Eagles want to play. They don't want to ask him to drop back 35 times. Right. And I think that that's that's the big thing. And then people have talked about, you know, the, the quality of the opponents and things of that nature. To me, I think when you look at the way that the Eagles have been able to win these games in decisive fashion for the most part, and Nick Sirianni actually said it in his uh, postgame speech to the team that's up now on all Eagles digital channels. Uh, he said, look, this wasn't like a game that we've had in the past. We're used to winning by two, three scores. Well, th- this game was not that right. Yeah, they w- they win by one score. You need that turnover at the end of the game. Uh, you know, within an, under a minute to to seal it in the end zone, right? So a different kind of game. But just going back to our original point, that uh, you have to find those different ways to come away with a W uh, down the stretch. And this is a team that that has found ways to do it. We'll see if they can keep that rolling going into the playoffs. Uh, just kind of looking at the the rest of this performance, Greg. Um, you know, we talked about some of the issues the the offensive line had in the run game. I didn't think it was the, certainly one of their better games, uh, especially in the second half of the year. There are some definitely some plays they would like to have back. I do think Boston Scott ran really hard, though, uh, and he did some good things in the past game as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, obviously, the numbers don't reflect Boston Scott and, and how hard he ran. But, um, uh, yeah, we both agree. And the, the film tells you, you know, and that, that's what I do. I tell you what the film says. This was not the best game for their all-line. Um, it was uh, – uh, they struggled a bit in the run game. But – Again, we're not going to look at this game and, and against Washington and say they have a weakness running the ball. What I love about the Eagles at this point, and, and you can debate what they are and whether they're going to have to do other things to win in the playoffs, but what we know right now, and it's always good to know, particularly when you're going to the playoffs, is this team has a clear identity on the offensive side of the ball. They know what they are. They know who they are. They know how they have to play. It's not a week-to-week deal. And I think that too, when you look at like identities of teams that that are that have that ability to make noise in the playoff and and challenge the ability uh, to go go deep into the tournament is uh, number one being strong on both line, sides of the line of scrimmage, which the Eagles clearly that's the strength of their team on both sides in both units. And then also uh, defensively to be opportunistic. And I think we have seen that uh, over the course of these last few weeks, you know, whether it's Rodney McLeod making that interception uh, we saw, you know, we've seen Alex Singleton make plays. We've seen TJ Edwards make plays the defensive line consistently getting pressure. Uh, I think when you look at this defense over the second half of the season, and that showed up in this game against Washington, uh, that ability to be opportunistic, make plays when they come your way. Yeah. And, and I think that we've seen uh, uh, what we I think we've seen from Jonathan Gannon is now he plays more to the specific opponent. Early in the season, he played pretty much zone every week, uh, and and then he started to play more man. Now I think he feels comfortable with the players he's putting out there. I feel like in his mind, given this roster, he knows who he wants to play and how he wants to play. And it, it, my sense, just watching the tape, is it's become a little more opponent specific. So. You know, you might say, well, gee, you know, they, they started playing a lot more man. Well, this week they they didn't play as much man. They played significantly less cover one uh, than they have since week eight when they began to turn around their season. They played far more split safety this particular week, split, split safety zone against Washington. So I think he's now more comfortable with his personnel and what they can do. And it's allowed him to be more opponent specific in how he chooses to match up. Yeah, when you talk about just the different wrinkles, the different evolutions, the different layers that we've seen from that unit, from that side of the football, uh, I saw we saw one really creative one uh, this week with some of the packages they ran with both Jannard Avery and Patrick Johnson uh, on the yeah, field. I really like that. I really, really like really that. creative looks. 
Yeah, no, I really like that. They lined up in essentially what we call diamond front, meaning five across, because that initial look says to the offensive line that they have one-on-one pass protection because you're covering each offensive lineman, essentially, and you can do many things from that. And I think they lined up in that, what, three or four times in the game, but Avery got a sack from that look. Actually, Patrick Johnson dropped out, but again, the protection is already set, so you can't change your protection in the middle of the play. Uh, And it was a beautiful, what essentially became a TT stunt, because Avery was lined up as a stand-up three technique, which is a D-tackle position. So it was really a TT stunt. Avery was the penetrator, Hargrave was the uh, looper, but Avery did such a good job of just blowing up the center Ishmael and then just pushing him aside and had a straight shot to Heineke and sacked him. That was just, it was really well done. And um, that's something I don't recall. I'm not going to sit here and say they never did that this season. I don't recall seeing it, Fran. Maybe you do, but I don't recall seeing that particular look with those particular players. No, definitely not with those players in that package, right? And and look, a, a big part of that, I would imagine, is that, you know, because we, we didn't see Derek Barnett in those packages. And Derek Barnett was on the COVID-19 list for the majority of last week. He was activated late Saturday. So my guess is they weren't sure if, if number 96 was going to be able to play in the game. So, hey, we got we got to put some of these packages in. But now you've got that in your back pocket, number one, if you do want to use it moving forward. And number two, it's something that opposing offenses have to prepare for, right, is ha- having that kind of pressure yeah. look. Uh, those looks are now on tape uh, for opposing defenses, to, or opposing offenses, rather, uh, to get ready for. Um, to me, the, the other bit, we saw it again on the, the Josh Sweat sack. Uh, there's a second of uh, Josh Sweat sacks uh, in this game, Greg. And Josh, I mean, he's been outstanding, Greg. I, I know he's a guy that has really stood out to you on tape as well. Uh, I mean, Josh Sweat, to me, I mean, we know how they play. And, and you know me, I never say anything negative about coaches because – Hey, I know how hard I work, so I know how hard they work. And we know that very often this year when they line up in those five-man fronts, he's inside. But I think as a wide nine pass rusher, particularly over the last month or so, I think he's been as good as anybody in the league. I mean, he is really, really good. He's long. He's athletic. He can bend. I mean, I, I just... You know, he, he's got that length, quickness, flexibility, closing speed profile that you want all edge pass rushers to have. And I made this note after one of the sacks this week or one of the pass because not only did he have sacks, he had some great rushes as well that were not sacks. I said if he played predominantly a wide nine, he would be among the league leaders in quarterback sacks. And I believe that. It's interesting watching him. I mean, he's, he's had, if you go back to like last year, a lot of his rushes all started with that long arm and everything complement, everything kind of started around that. And you would have complimentary moves off that long arm. And while that's still a part of his package this year, you're seeing a lot more of like uh, some of those ghost moves and some of those other moves where he's able to win high side, clear the hands of the offensive tackle yeah. and, and get the edge and turn. And you would think for a guy who's six, five with, with his wingspan, uh, you know, those guys typically don't have that flexibility to be able to turn the he corner. Can bend. Man, that's he can bend. Man, he great, great plays turning the corner in this game. That's what stood out to me uh, this week. I mean, other weeks as well, but it really stood out to me this week in uh, his ability to bend and then and then close with speed. There is you. We see guys try to bend, you know, over the years, uh, even when we watch, you know, college pass rushers, which, you know, you and I will start getting into in, in greater detail once the season ends. But when, a lot of times you see guys who can bend, but then they don't really have the balance to close. And he he, he does. Uh, I, I think he's a really, really good edge pass rusher. 
Yeah, and it wasn't just on the sacks. I mean, he had a couple of pressures, and yeah. also including one on the, the, the fourth down play, uh, that incompletion that Avante Maddox was on late in the game. Uh, you could watch Josh Sweat, his ability to disrupt on that play and pressure the quarterback. Taylor Heineke could not step into that throw, and I think that was a big reason why it was incomplete. Um, yeah, he was definitely the defensive lineman that stood out most to me in this game. I thought both safeties uh, really stood out as well, Greg. I would say, you know, Ryan McLeod had the interception uh, at the end, but I thought Anthony Harris really showed up uh, downhill, made some really nice one-on-one tackles as well in this game yeah no he showed up as well i would agree with that for sure and then going uh, just to, to the the linebacker level continuing to see those guys uh flow to the football i thought alex singleton was all over the place uh in this game i think you know again just watching this group continue to feel more comfortable uh continuing to to understand their roles in the scheme and it's been a big part of their success yeah you know singleton to me is a fascinating guy because you know there's always been this thought and and that you know hey He's okay, and we need to get better. And, you know, I think you and I have probably even said those things uh, as well. But, you know, he's going to be among the league leaders in tackles. And, you know, he makes a ton of tackles. And to me, he shows up on film. And I keep trying to figure out what is he. In other words, is he a guy as you go forward that you can say, hey, he's one of my linebackers? Um, Because that's a decision they'll have to make because, you know, earlier in the year, I think a lot of people believed and and I probably fell into that camp that, hey, they have to get significantly better at the linebacker position. Well, they signed TJ Edwards, so they clearly see him as a starter, you know, both in base and nickel. You don't sign him. And I don't know what the number is, but it wasn't a small number. You don't sign him with the idea that he's not going to play. They see him as a guy who's going to play in base and in nickel. So the question becomes. What is Alex Singleton? Is he going to be there or do they, you know, do they look to draft high a linebacker? You know, that's going to be one of the fascinating offseason questions. Sure. It's something we'll continue to talk about both yeah. on the show uh, and on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Uh, Greg, let's kind of spin this forward here to Sunday's matchup against the – or Saturday night's, I should say, Saturday night's matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. And, uh, look, the Eagles put, a, a, I think, a dozen uh, players on the COVID-19 yeah. list. That does not mean that uh, those guys will or won't play, obviously, with the, with the changes to the protocols. Uh, that's just a, kind of a, a TBD kind of situation, right? But just kind of looking at the Dallas Cowboys and the team that uh, we will see here at Lincoln financial field on Saturday night, Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Cowboys came out and said that uh, those, those guys are going full board. They're going for the win here uh, at Lincoln financial field on Saturday. So with that said, let's talk about this team a little bit and yeah. some of the matchups that, that could be on the table uh, in this game. And we'll start with the Cowboys offense, a group that uh, obviously came into the season with a lot of fanfare, Dak Prescott making his return off the injury from 2020. Uh, you get some, some young pieces, a really exciting group overall. And while they've had flashes this year, they've kind of teetered off over the last month, month and a half. I'm interested to see what you've seen on, on tape from this group. Yeah. And I'm not surprised McCarthy said that because this offense with very few exceptions over the last month or so, even though they've won games, has not been very good. Um, they cannot run the football. Um, it's it's They had a dominant run game through the first six weeks of the season. Right now, it's erratic and inconsistent. You can tell they no longer feel comfortable with the run game as a foundation of their offense. Their O-line has not been very good in the run game. I don't think that Zeke Elliott quite has that, that second-level burst that he had at when he was great. Um, yeah, and Pollard obviously does have that burst, but he's not the feature back. So he's kind of the changeup. So uh, the run game is really a problem. 
Um, I would say that Dak Prescott has been inconsistent. I would say he at times is not seeing things as clearly as he needs to right now. He's that results in throws left on the field. He's getting stuck in the pocket too often, too many snaps in which he's not playing with a calm helmet. And what I mean by that is where his head's moving around too much. I learned this from Ron Jaworski very early on when Jaws and I started working together back in, oh, 1990. And one of the first things he said to me when we started really talking about quarterbacks was, if you see a quarterback when he drops back, if his head is moving too much, that means he's not seeing anything. And Prescott is, has a few too many snaps where the, the, the helmet's not calm. And that means he's not quite getting a clear picture. And you know how fast that goes, uh, Fran, when, you know, you're dropping back. If you're not seeing it clearly, it's happening really fast. And another issue he's been having lately is is lack of precise ball placement. He's shown yeah. some scattershot tendencies. So, you know, this is he's not played well. The run game has not been very good. Um, to me, it's an offense trying to find its way right now. And. That's why I'm not surprised for a second that Mike McCarthy says we got to put people out there. You know, we don't know what the Eagles are going to do. Maybe they're going to put out, you know, the, the the JV team from across the street. But it doesn't matter to the Cowboys. They need their offense. They need to find their offense. Yeah, I think that it's fair to say that. And really, in, in all phases, run game, pass game, uh, just not operating at the level that they would want going into the postseason. This is a team that is still mathematically uh, has the number two seed at their disposal. Uh, they would need some other things to be able to break their way, things that we would see to be uh, unlikely, but they still have stuff to play for. And so it looks like they're going to go out uh, and try and win this game. The, the big thing, too, in the offensive line, they've had pieces in and out. I mean, I know Lel Collins uh, at right tackle started the season. Well, suspended. He didn't play. Uh, Zach Martin has been in and out. Uh, Tyler Beatish has been in and out. Uh, Tyron Smith has been in and out, right? So they've just had to kind of mix and match. I mean, I'll give you two thoughts here. And again, uh, you know, there there are a lot smarter offensive line guys out there, guys like Duke Mannyweather and Brandon Thorne. We know both those guys. They're a lot smarter than I am when it comes to offensive line play. But but I think Biadesh has not played overly well in the run game. I don't know your thoughts. Maybe I've seen a little more than you have. And I thought the first five or six weeks of the season, they were playing Terrence Steele at right tackle. Yep. Uh, and he was there when the Eagles and Cowboys first hooked up. What was that week three? I believe. Believe um, so. Yeah. I thought Steele was dominant early in the season. Now I'm not there every day, so I'm not going to say anything about their coaches. You know, because obviously they replaced Steele with Lyle Collins. So in their mind, Collins is their right tackle. But I thought Steele was a major reason why their run game was so good the first five six weeks of the season. Yeah, and he's had to play some left tackle when Smith has been out. Right. Um, you know, and Smith is not the same guy, by the way. He's, right. yep. he's and again, he's had so many back injuries. No, uh, again, I don't fancy myself as the guru here, but it seems like when he has to protect, you know, and really, really kick slide and move laterally to his left, obviously that's what he has to do as the left tackle. I just don't feel like you see the same kind of fluidity because there was a stretch there where Smith was just about as fluid and athletic as you could possibly be as a left tackle. Oh, no question. Uh, let's go over to the, the Dallas defense. Uh, this is a group, obviously. I remember when we got together talking about this group before the Eagles played them in, in where they, if that was week three on Monday Night Football, that was before they had kind of arrived, right? Micah Parsons was not Micah Parsons. Trayvon Diggs, uh, you know, it was like, oh, you know, he's, yeah, he's had some nice plays here and there. He had a couple picks. It was really nice against the Chargers. But, uh, you know, we're not sure yet. 
Well, this is a group that has played at a really high level for the majority of this season. I would argue is playing as one of the best defenses in the league right now. Uh, Parsons, a true blue chip talent. Trayvon Diggs, blue chip talent. They get Demarcus Lawrence back a few weeks ago. Uh, he looks like his normal self. So this is a group uh, with players at all three levels. Yeah, they've got playmakers at all three levels for sure. Although I will say this. I think Trayvon Diggs, and again, I've probably seen almost every Cowboy defensive game on tape this year. I think Diggs has been really erratic. I think his interception total, and, and hey, interceptions count. It's like long runs or long passes. They count. But I don't think he's been consistent as a man-to-man defender. And they play a ton of man coverage. I think he's a beatable player. Uh, but again, he, he makes picks. Um, I would say Micah Parsons, and I, I was on record because I did a piece for the NFL matchup show probably five or six weeks ago. Um where I said I thought that through that point of the season, he was the best edge rusher in the NFL. And obviously people have come back. Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence, those guys are pretty good too. So Micah Parsons is now back playing more snaps at stackbacker than he is as an edge player, but they still line him up as an edge player yep. at times. And that guy, I mean, the guy's a freak show, um, but they are really good up front because Lawrence is really good. You know, I remember you and I talking about Randy Gregory when he came in at Nebraska. Yep. I mean, Gregory. Up against Eric Flowers uh, when uh, Flowers of Miami. Yeah, and Gregory obviously had all kinds of, of off-the-field issues, and hopefully he's okay now. But I thought Gregory coming out of Nebraska, if he was a clean player, was a, a top five, six kind of pick in a draft. He you damn know. near killed Kyler Murray uh, on Sunday, Greg. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's that guy. And talk about fluidity and bend. I mean, yeah. that guy, he, he's, you know, so they, they have playmakers at all three levels. And and uh, now they also have some guys who are beatable, you know, so we know that Brown, the other corner can be beat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there there's opportunities here for the Eagles and uh, we'll see how it goes. I would think, you know, and again, we don't know what the what the roster is going to look like, depth chart is going to look like uh, with COVID nineteen. You know, the, with who's going to be active, who's not. But trying to run the football against this group, I think, might be a, a, a good tool to be able to use and try and negate some of the strengths that we're talking about. You know, try, try and stay away from Parsons as a pass rusher and what Demarcus Lawrence brings and Trayvon yeah. Diggs. Obviously, you're going to have to throw the football, but trying to make sure that you establish yourself on the ground uh, against this group, I think, would provide the you know that would give you that would be more fruitful. And all we can do is talk about it as if players are going to play. But I think one player on their defense, to me, who has stood out all year long is J. Ron Curse. I think J. Ron Curse, you know, he found a place. They don't play base defense. Their base is big nickel. I think, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would bet they've played 20 snaps of what would be be considered base defense all year long. And actually, I'm going to look that up right now because I'm capable of doing that. Um, but I don't, I don't think they've played much, much, you know, what we would normally consider base defense. Um, yeah, and, and they played 11 snaps of what we, we would consider base defense with four D linemen and three true linebackers all year long. So they are a big nickel as their base defense because J. Ron Curse is essentially, I mean, he's 6'4, 220 pounds. And assuming everybody plays, yep. and since they do play the highest percentage of cover one in the NFL, he's the tight end matchup. No, that, that is a matchup against Dallas Goddard. If again, if Goddard is active uh, right. for this game, um, Jordan Lewis, the regular nickel. So when they go just regular nickel, Jordan Lewis steps in in the slot. Curse drops back to strong safety, uh, and, and away they go. Um, it's a it's a really interesting group, and just you know, 
They do a lot of different things up front. You talk about the amount of man coverage that they play. They're really aggressive. It's very, I would say, if you want to talk about like philosophically, what it's very similar to the Saints, right? And somewhat. And, and I think what Dan Quinn did again just shows you how smart guys. He's been coaching a long time. He was the uh, original Legion of Boom with Seattle, where they played literally cover three every snap. So what has happens now? He comes to Dallas after getting fired in Atlanta as a head coach. And what does he do? They play more cover one man coverage than any team in the league. They play a lot of cover two. They play some cover three, but not a ton of cover three. So, you know, it's it's interesting how he's evolved himself as a coach. And as you said, this year, it's been very successful. Yeah. yeah. And like I say, when you look at just from a a profile standpoint, very similar to Dennis Allen and the Saints. Hey, we're going to play a lot of man, especially on third down. We're going to bring our linebackers in as part of the pressure package. We're going to come after you uh, in a lot of different looks, a lot of different ways, a lot of light body guys up front. And, um, you know, the Eagles have had success against that defense, being able to run the football. And we'll see if that's something they decide to do. But some great talents on that side. Greg, uh, we'll be back breaking it all down next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Fueled by Gatorade. And then I'm getting ready to look toward the playoffs, Fran. That'll be exciting. Yeah, we got uh, obviously some different possibilities uh, that the, the Eagles have at their disposal here. It looks like uh, Tampa Bay, the most likely of those scenarios, but could be the it could be the Rams, it could be the Bucks, as we mentioned, it could be uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Even you know, there, there's lots of different yeah. options there. Make sure you go follow uh, Dennis Selman, D E D E N I Z S E L M A N. He does a great job breaking all of that down. Dennis Selman, thirty three on Twitter, uh, does a great job of laying it all out, all the different possibilities for the Eagles uh, coming out of this weekend. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. And I want to shout out today someone who did exactly that. Aki Pete left a five-star review saying, I would love to hear an evaluation of where Jalen Hurts stands in his development compared with where Dak Prescott was after he had played the same number of games. Also, compare your pre-draft evaluation of Jalen coming out of college versus Dak Prescott's pre-draft evaluation. Well, Pete, that's a good question, and it's something we have talked about a lot, honestly, on this uh, on this show, on the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. I think there are a lot of comparisons that you can make between Jalen and Dak when they both came out. Obviously, very similar physical skill sets. I think when you looked at their strengths and weaknesses, both on and off the field, to be honest, coming out of college, I think you could have made that comparison, and I don't think anybody would have told you you were nuts. I think that uh, both guys had some issues with some ball placement and accuracy. 
Both have improved in that area. Both guys had the athleticism. Uh, the arm talent was was more than good enough with both players. And obviously, got, both guys had all kinds of intangibles and had a level of success in the SEC for three, four years, right? So I think there was plenty that you can compare both of these players on. And then when I think you take it to what they've done so far in the NFL, look, when with Dak Prescott, when he first got into the league, that was an offense that didn't funnel through him. It funneled through the run game. And Dallas gave him the, the opportunity, the ability to learn and to develop and and now you see Dak Prescott who's got that ability uh, to manage the entire offense and everything can funnel through him on occasion right whenever he's healthy Dak Prescott's got the ability to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and we talked about it earlier with Greg I think when you talk about this offense what they can be their strength right now is going to be when they have a fully healthy Dak Prescott and they can funnel it through him and so uh, look I think when you look at the, the the comparison it's tough because they're at very different stages of their career, but I think you can certainly make that comparison with where Jalen Hurts is now to where Dak Prescott was. Now, does that mean that Jalen Hurts is definitely going to be Dak Prescott? No, they're they're different players, they're different situations, uh, different people, right? So you can't say apples to apples. That's exactly where where Jalen Hurts is going to end up being five years from now. But I do think that there are definitely comparisons you can make. And, and Jalen uh, has really come a long way. He's improved in a lot of ways. Even if you look from his rookie year in 2020 to this season, he's taken care of the, uh, of the football at a higher rate. He's been more accurate. He's done a nice job overall this year of being a very efficient passer, taking what the defense has given him. Obviously, he's still going to make plays with his legs and hasn't always been perfect. There have been plays that he would like to have back that, uh, look, he, he runs away from a pocket and maybe he leaves a receiver open downfield. Uh, maybe he puts a ball on the ground uh, when he's leaving the pocket as well. There are there are plays that he would like to have back, but it's very rare that you see him make a lot of those same mistakes consecutively, time after time after time. He's continuing to learn, continuing to improve, and so that's been the big thing that has stuck with me this season, watching Jalen Hurts, and obviously the story uh, not done being written yet here for him in the 2021 season. Excited to watch Jalen continuing to prove himself in some of these high-leverage situations here down the stretch. So great stuff there from Pete. Great question. Thank you, and thank you as well to everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella Giovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.